So, how you doing? Got those issues identified? Anybody still in denial? Anybody want to come out on that? Uh, if you missed the last few weeks, we're in the middle of a series called Strong in the Broken Places, and uh, we've been going through the 12 steps, uh, which we have discovered are actually based on biblical principles and that God is at the heart of the whole 12-step thing. And if you have been coming, hopefully you have been ruminating on this thing, right? Identifying this thing, this Goliath, as we call it. We replace the elephant in the room with this sweaty, nasty giant, this giant of a problem that we have that we can't seem to kick, and so we've been kind of working through that issue, through the 12 steps, to really try to overcome the messed up places in our lives. And so um, we have gone through the last, uh, we've gone through five of the 12 steps. And so after we identified you know, our initial problem, we admit that we're powerless over our problems, and then our lives have become unmanageable. And then we you know, have come to believe that God can restore sanity to our lives. We make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the will of God. If you remember, this is the wedding banquet close, where we actually submit our will to the will of God. Uh, We make a searching and fearless moral inventory. This is what Scott led us through last week, where we're getting out of denial, and once we do that, then we can confess to and admit to somebody ourselves, to God, um, the exact nature of our wrongs. And then today is step six and seven. And so we're going to say that, hopefully, that we are entirely ready for God to change all of the defects of character. And then we humbly ask God to remove these defects. So this morning, I'm just going to ask you to ask yourself, Am I ready? Now, there's a qualifier there in step six, right? It says, in you're entirely ready. Because it is possible to be kind of ready, right? It's, It's possible to be partially ready. But to be entirely ready is to say that I am willing to take the radical steps that are required in order for me to create transformational change, come hell or high water, I'm committed and tenacious enough to make it happen. So are you entirely ready to allow God to step in and save you from your own worst enemy? Yourself. We have become entirely ready to allow God to step in and save me from myself. There's a uh, great book uh, that I highly recommend. I've read it uh, several years ago, but it's a book called Change or Die. And um, the author uh, spent uh, several years studying how people change. And I want to read you an excerpt from this book. And so the author says this, Change or Die. What if you were given the choice, for real, like we're talking actual life and death right now, your life and your death, change or die? 
What if a well-informed, trusted authority figure said you had to make difficult and enduring changes in the way that you think, feel, and act? And if you didn't, your time on this earth would end soon. A lot sooner than it had to. Could you change when change really mattered? When it mattered most? Could you change? Yes, you say? Try again. Still yes? Mm, You're probably deceiving yourself. That's what the experts say. They say you wouldn't change. You won't change. Don't believe it? You want the odds? Here's the odds that the experts are laying down. They're scientifically studied odds. Nine to one. That's nine to one against you. Being able to make the necessary changes in your life to save your own life. How do you like those odds? Pretty sobering, isn't it? It's interesting because he bases this on a study that was done that of people who had heart failure and they had coronary artery bypass surgery, open heart surgery. And after just two years, 90% of the people who had this surgery, they found, would not change their lifestyle at all even if the experts were telling them that if they didn't, they would die. Most of them, after two years, went right back to smoking, drinking too much, eating too much, not getting enough exercise, not getting enough sleep, not managing their stress the way that the doctor prescribed in order for them to get better. And so here's the crazy thing. Most of the people who had this surgery done required yet another surgery because they refused to change their lifestyle that led to their heart issues in the first place. He says, this has been studied over and over again, and it is always proven true. People don't, or should I say, won't change. You won't change. And, by the way, this same thing applies to all of us as we're dealing with this issue, this Goliath in our lives. Because most people approach change with a band-aid. They're trying to just stop some particular behavior or bad habit. In other words, they see the answer to their problem as somehow finding the willpower to just stop whatever it is, the bad behavior or bad habit that is bringing them down. But as we've discovered in this series, willpower just, that don't work. It requires something more, much more. And so step seven is that we humbly ask God to remove all of our shortcomings. The Bible refers to this as repentance. Now, repentance gets kind of a bad rap, right? I mean, you think about 
the guy on the street corner in Manhattan with a sign, and he says, repent or die, and it kind of turns all of us off. But truly, repentance in the Bible, in both the New Testament and the Old Testament, is actually this absolutely beautiful word. So in the New Testament, the word for repent is metanoia. And it means to transform my mind and change the way I think. This is very much like our word metamorphosis. Right? So when I repent of something, I begin to change my mind about my problem. I see the world differently and I begin to think about my issues differently. And I begin to understand that my problem is something that I can't change on my own. No matter how hard I try, I can't seem to overcome it. And so repentance is getting freed up from the stuff that holds us back from being the person that God wants us to become. There is like this sin that blocks us. If this is me and this is my sin, my issue, it's blocking me from having an intimate relationship with God because I'm prioritizing that. And until I deal with this thing, it will always cause me to feel separated from God until I remove it. And the way that we remove that thing from our life is through repentance. And there's two ingredients to authentic repentance. The first one is confession, that we admit that we're failures. This is what Scott talked about last week, where we get out of denial and we get past our pride and we admit that we don't have it all together and we're willing to confess and say, I'm really messed up. But the second ingredient is the one that we're dealing with today, which is there is a commitment to change. And you're not just paying lip service. This is something that is deep within us that we are committed to change. Repentance is not as much about a change in stopping a behavior as much as it is, is a change in the way that we live our lives every day. I'm pretty sure This is why Jesus says, narrow is the path that we have to take to follow him. And many fall off the trail if we ever get started at all because it's a difficult journey. And there are few of us that are willing to endure what we have to endure, which is creating change that makes us completely uncomfortable and live uncomfortably different than the way that we've been living. And the question becomes, how do we create permanent, sustainable change in our lives before it's too late? Well, I can tell you that from the book Change or Die, how not to do it. He says you cannot band-aid it. He says most people buy into the myth that making small, gradual changes are easier to do, and so that's what most people do. They'll say, okay, today, I'm not going to smoke that cigarette today. Or today, I'm not going to do this. But that's not true, because we continue to fall back into that pattern or behavior over time. Because your changes aren't radical enough, To make a difference, it's not radical enough to create sustainable changes. The band-aids don't work. So here's a great example. If you're having an issue in your marriage, and let's say that your spouse, her love language is acts of service, which happens to be 
my wife's love language. And let's say that you're that guy where acts of service is not your love language. And let's just say that's me, just hypothetically. And so let's say that I get inspired one night and I'm, I'm going to change. I'm going to make our marriage great. And so I'm inspired one night and I say, you know what, tonight, tonight I'm going to wash the dishes. Now, I don't wash the dishes. So for me, washing the dishes, that's a big stinking deal for me. When I get done washing the dishes, I want confetti to come from the ceiling. I want the band to start playing. I want the people to rush the field as the President of the United States presents me with the Medal of Honor that I have done an active service for my wife. And then, when I do this thing, and she doesn't even acknowledge it, She doesn't say anything about it. I'm hurt. I'm devastated, right? I've done this thing. I have moved mountains for you, and you don't even acknowledge it, and I vow right then and there, I will never wash another dish as long as I live. Small attempts at change do not work. The reality is, and it's now been proven, that changes don't work as a result of band-aiding it But instead, if you want change, and it's rare that you can change, but if you want to create change in your life, it requires something much more radical, where you are completely changing everything. And the reason why this is important is because when you are creating big changes, all of a sudden you see immediate, impactful results. You're getting positive reinforcement from the beginning, because Change is not inspired by not doing something. Change is inspired because you're seeing the benefit of whatever it is that the change is creating, and that's inspiring you to continue to live that lifestyle. And so when, if acts of service is the love language of your spouse, it's not about just washing the dishes one night and then you're ticked because you don't get the response you're looking for. It's coming home and rolling up your sleeves and like, Sweeping the floor and making the bed before you leave and helping to sort the clothes. And yea, verily, I say unto you, it's about cleaning the toilets. (laughs) My wife does not get turned on when I'm wearing a tight pair of jeans and a muscle shirt. You're welcome for the image. (laughs) She gets turned on when I'm on my hands and knees and I'm like cleaning the floors. So... The commitment that we have to make is that we're doing something so much and it becomes part of who we are. It becomes part of our new DNA. It's a lifestyle that's created and it's then and only then that change can begin to happen because now I'm inspired because my wife is going, wow, what's happened to you, honey? And she's excited. It's awesome. For changes to last... It requires a complete and radical life change. But here's the kicker. You really have to change everything to make it happen. Our whole thought process has to change. The places that you go that may be triggers or the places that you don't go. Or here's one, people that you hang out with. It's also proven that one of the greatest influences 
for change is by hanging with people who inspire change in you. I mean, this is the reason why we have small groups at church, right? It's not so we can just get together and have fun. It's that you're with a group of people that inspire change in you for spiritual growth. That's the reason the 12 steps are typically done in groups, because it's people who are inspiring change in you to create change. And so, for instance, if your issue is food, my guess is you're probably hanging with a group of overeaters, like people who are just like you, because you don't feel out of place. You feel comfortable in that group. But if we want to change that area of our lives, then we have to stop hanging with a bunch of overeaters and start hanging out with healthy people because they will inspire a positive influence in your life and help you to create change. I have no idea how I ended up in this group, but I'm in a group somehow that does 20 push-ups a day And every time we do the 20 push-ups, we text each other and say, okay, I've done my 20 push-ups so that there's no hiding about whether you did them or not. Now, I don't do push-ups. I'm not a push-up guy. But for some strange reason, I do now. I do stinking push-ups every single day. And when I don't do them, I feel like, gosh, I really need to do my push-ups. Like, it's like something that's in me now. And it's not because anybody's making me feel guilty, but I can tell you that I've seen the difference in my pecs. It's incredible. (laughs) Unbelievable. But when I don't do it, I feel like I'm letting down my little group of pushers, right? They've helped to create positive change in me, and that's what that's all about. And we can apply this to any area of our life. If your issue is alcohol, and stop hanging with people who drink too much and start hanging with people who drink in moderation or not at all. If your issue is negativity, stop hanging with negative people or just get into that negative swirl. If your issue is gossiping, stop hanging in a group where they're just like constantly talking about other people. In other words, who we hang with, the situations that we put ourselves in matters. It matters. We're talking about turning our whole lifestyle upside down and completely changing everything about the way that we live. That is the only way to create change that will last. The other word in the Bible for repent in the Old Testament is a Hebrew word, which is teshuvah. And I love this because it means to return to where I originally came from. It means to return back to your born identity, if you will. It means to find your way back to the person that you were created to be from the beginning of time. The Bible is clear that we were created in the image of God. That we were created from the beginning to be in a relationship with God. But somewhere down the line, we got lost. We lost our true identity. We We became the person that I created me to be rather than the person that God created me to be. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me daily. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it it for someone to gain the whole world? 
and yet forfeit their very soul, which can also be translated to, to forfeit their very self or lose your very self. When you look at that phrase in verse 24, when Jesus says that we're deny to, we are to deny yourself, in the original Greek text, it can be translated to stop acting like yourself, which is really to say, stop acting like who you're not. In other words, you've created this persona of who you think you should be that is getting in the way of who you're created to be. So if you can stop acting like yourself, the person you created yourself to be, and start acting like the person God created you to be, it's a completely different person. Because God created you to be something different. And to deny ourselves means that we're denying ourselves of the issues that consume us, and instead we live differently. Instead of living a life of superficiality, we, we are now living counterculturally, which, by the way, is very uncomfortable to do and takes a lot of commitment and tenacity to pull it off. And we are no longer living for ourselves, but we are instead putting on the wedding clothes and we are living fully and submitting our will to God's will. And Jesus goes on in verse 25 and he says, what good is it if you gain the whole world, this whole world of superficiality that you've created for yourself? and yet lose your very self, which is to say your real self. 2 Corinthians puts it like this, Therefore, if anyone is in Jesus, they are a new creation. And the old life is gone, and the new life has begun. When we become entirely ready to admit that there is a Goliath-sized problem in my life, we finally stop blaming everybody else for our problems. We stop living in denial about the issues that exist in our life. We take responsibility and we own our stuff. When we become entirely ready to invite God into our lives to come in and clean house, then and only then can we begin to make the changes that we need in order to bring healing and then and only then can you become the person that God created you to be. And so the choice is yours. Are you going to change or are you not? The odds are against you. Truly against you. Nine to one that you'll create any kind of change at all. Because if you decide that you want to change, then you have to be entirely ready to take on all of that entails. Sometimes change causes pain. Sometimes change can hurt other people's feelings. Sometimes it can cause us to live very uncomfortably, out of our comfort zone, because we're living differently. Whatever it is for you, I can tell you that it is always work. It is seldom easy, and it requires a tenacity and an inner fortitude that is the reason why only one of ten of us will be willing to make the changes that are required in our lives. Only one in ten. If you will indulge me, I'd love for you just to close your eyes for a minute and don't fall asleep. I want you to picture yourself at some beautiful resort, lying by a pool. 
but you're not lying there alone. Right there next to you, and get this image in your head, the chair next to you is this Goliath. Yeah, no, he's too good looking. Goliath has more of a Hawaiian shirt, and he's probably wearing black socks with his slides. He's sweaty, he's scrubby, he's nasty, and he's lying right there behind you drinking a pina colada, and he's got his arm tucked around you super tight. Got it? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus walks up to you. And he says, hey, you, are you ready? Are you entirely ready to be healed? And you look at Jesus with his outstretched hand who desperately wants to take you in, who desperately wants to heal you. He's got his hand reaching out to you and you look at the hand and then you look over at Goliath, your Goliath-sized problem who desperately wants to hold you back. And you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. Will you take the hand of Jesus? Or will you stay stuck next to this sweaty giant for the rest of your life? The odds are against you taking the hand of Jesus. I got to tell you, I so desperately want to take his hand. Don't you? But at the end of the day, do we? Do we make that change? Look, when, when I come face to face with God, I don't want to stand in front of him on that day and make excuses as to why I didn't make any changes in my life. If you were standing before God right now, what do you know in your heart of hearts that you know that you'd be embarrassed that you're standing there in front of God and you know he would want you to make that change? What is it? Make a commitment to create the change that you know needs to be changed so that we can stop making excuses and do what we need to do and to walk through what we have to walk through in order to be healed. In order to become different. In order to become the person God created us to be from the beginning so that as we cross the finish line of this life, we know We have finished well because we had the courage to make change when change mattered most.